está ocurriendo en la Tierra, por el amor de Dios. What on earth are you doing, for heaven's sake? A small magnet with those words on a church organ caught my eyes years ago when I was a boy. The words written on it have stayed with me ever since. It wasn't just a humorous play on words, but it's a lingering question that should motivate all of us to expect great things from God while attempting great things for God. I'm your host, Phil, an ordinary guy living with his family in South Africa. One of my heroes is Barnabas, an ordinary guy from Cyprus, the son of encouragement, as he was called. My family and I love the work we do here in South Africa and to the people God led us to love and learn from. And my desire through this podcast is simply to encourage others laboring around the world reaching people I cannot reach with creative methods or unusual skills far different than mine. To simply reach out in a casual way through conversations, highlighting their efforts and lives to you who listen in so you might learn more about the work going on for God in so many different and unusual ways. It might be educational, entertaining, or even edgy, but it is all for the glory of God. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? Let's find out the answer to that question with our guest today. I was humbled and thrilled simultaneously to go to this ministry's website and begin to read through all the ways in which my guest and others have creatively, culturally, and completely shared the good news across the globe. Dick is my guest today, and he came recommended to me through a mutual friend uh, who is, as many of you know, a missions hero of mine. And so when he suggested that I interview Dick as a subject, I leapt at that chance. I welcome you, sir, to What on Earth is Going on for Heaven's Sake. Yeah, thanks, Phil. It's a delight to be with you. I appreciate you taking the time, and I'd love for you to just begin our time together by introducing yourself uh, your family, and then just give us an overview of what you are currently doing. Probably the most prominent thing I'd like to share about myself is I'm a devoted Jesus follower, and Christ has transformed my life. I've been a missionary to Iranians for over 40 years, actually my wife and I. I have a wife whose name is Nita, and we have two adult children, and they've given us 10 grandkids. And we have been involved in reaching Iranians. We used to live in Iran, but now we use media from another part of the world to do evangelism and discipleship among Iranians and actually some Afghans, because they speak a similar dialect of Farsi. I'm just about to turn 50 this fall, and that generation, my generation, uh, was very young, uh, but had formative memories of those days when there was great revolution in that country, and there was upheaval, and there mm. was governmental turnover, and of course the hostage situation, among other things. But the story actually goes before, well before that, and as we were discussing, this actually began with you in high school. God was doing a, a work, speaking to you, and I'd love for you to share how he Uh, begin to stir your heart, even from your high school days? Yeah, that's a reality. I I came to know Christ as Savior when I was only eight years old, but not much happened. But after that, for a few years, when I got to high school, 
couple of things started going on. I was always curious about how things worked. And I was interested in electricity, did some fairly unsafe things with electricity to kind of satisfy my curiosity. And I remember one time I built a shortwave radio receiver from a kit, which was quite the thing. And I was just fascinated to be able to hear all these broadcasts from countries in the world. And then a short time later, I had a friend who lived near me. And he was interested in radio, actually wanted to be a DJ. Um, he actually voice uh, things on the, on the radio. And he and I built a low-powered radio station. You put it in his bedroom. I actually built the transmitter from a schematic, which was quite an undertaking, which I'll never do again. And we used to put on radio shows just for immediate block around his house. Almost had to pay some of our friends to listen. So we had an audience, but things like that. He actually went on to be an announcer for K-Love Radio, which is a Christian network in America. Um, came to Christ later. That's another whole story. But there were a couple of spiritual mentors in my life. High school youth leader. Um, actually a couple of them who spent time with me and began to mentor me spiritually. Actually, one of them had me go to reach out to gangs in the city of Chicago. And, um, wow, I, I was scared to death about that. I watched him do it, but all of that kind of began to stir my heart. Hey, I wanted more. I wanted to learn about Jesus, and I wanted to have a part in, in serving Jesus. There were some Bible school students, Bible college right near us, and we used to invite some of them to dinner on Sunday, and they would share stories of how God was working in their lives. And some of them have, had gone out with Operation Mobilization for summers and had seen amazing things happen. And I would just sit there with wide eyes and think that was pretty cool. And later I actually enrolled in that same Bible school where God began to get a hold of my heart and began to learn about Jesus. There was a time when I thought being a missionary was the worst thing that could ever happen to me if God was really angry at me uh -huh. to be a missionary. Of course, I misunderstood God and I misunderstood missions. And interestingly enough, like I said, I ended up at that Bible college and God's word really gripped me. I began to understand how much God loved me unconditionally. And then I got involved in Operation Mobilization myself, went out on some short-term missions to Europe, Mexico, and then... Um, Went to college and um, studied broadcasting because that was an interest of mine, primarily program production. And after I graduated, I was interested in reaching a country that had no exposure to the gospel or very little. And long story, but I ended up inside Iran with an OM team. And God began to grip me with 
enormous need there. And my wife, Nita, was actually on the team. That's where we first met and came back. I was working in broadcasting for a few few years, and Nita and I got acquainted again. We got married and, and went back as full-time missionaries in 1973. Sorry, that was a long answer to a short question. Well, that's exactly what we want to set the stage with because it explains so much about how you ended up where you did, but then the tools and the methods that uh, we'll explore a little bit later. Um, it's, it's, I'm smiling here as we're talking because one of my first favorite things in life was a little shortwave uh, receiver uh, that you could switch to, to the different la- wavelengths and, and choose, and, and I would spend yeah. hours uh, rigging up homemade aerials uh, in my Florida home there, yeah, uh, and listening to I Deutsche Welle and, <laughs> and uh, you know Radio Tokyo and the BBC and um, you know HCJB uh, in in Quito, Ecuador, among other places. And oh, I, that was uh, right. an amazing thing for me. And then also, I I too ended up marrying a girl who was a radio and television broadcast major, and so I I already was sunk and and happily mm. sunk into the world of of media and radio and and certainly those things. Iran during those days, for many of us, it's quite a negative memory. Um, And I'd love to hear your early experience of what Iran was like prior to many of the big changes, of course, the revolution, and then how you managed to to, uh, begin to minister in a climate like that, and maybe what those differences were like on either side of, of all that turmoil. Yeah, Iran was very different in the earlier days as than it is now. When we first went in 1969 and then through the 70s, the second time, um, we loved the people, we loved the culture, although it was, it was confusing at times. But we found the people to be very friendly, and we had a wonderful time there. But spiritually, it was a very hard country. People just were not interested in the gospel. They were too secular, involved in making money and having a good time. And so there wasn't much spiritual interest. But then in 1978, the Islamic Revolution broke out. Early 79, the Shah of Iran. King was overthrown, and it became an Islamic Republic. And a couple of things happened. Number one, missionaries either had to leave the country or were kicked out, um, and we were some of them. And it became a very Islamic country. Government was Islamic for the first time in history. And the other thing that happened was is that people wanted to know about Jesus, and more and more people began to reject Islam. Today, uh, the government claims that 98% of Iranians are Muslims. There was a secular research project done by a company in the Netherlands did this study late last year and concluded only about 40% of Iranians 
identify as Muslims today. So there's been a wow. great turning from Islam. As people hate the government, see it as the cause of a lot of problems. And they're just interested in knowing more about Jesus. When you found yourself in the midst of that turmoil, and you mentioned there that you, it seems like that you were uh, booted out or asked to leave, is that correct? Yeah, well, we, we left voluntarily. We saw what was going to happen, and we were advised to leave, which we did. That was the saddest day of our life when we flew out of the country in 1979. Did God give you a chance to return? Well, we it wouldn't be a wise thing to return based on the ministry we've been doing. We're not exactly doing things that are compatible with the agenda of the government, put it that way. And so we've been carrying on our ministry of media from outside of the country. And that's the thing that has me just absolutely astounded and amazed at the scope of that media ministry. And I want to get into that um, here in just a second. What would you say... Uh, or, or is the, are there, um, obviously, we're fed by the media and have been uh, regarding the Iranian people and, and their personality, and you say their openness to the gospel. Um, what would you say is some of the major misconceptions or perhaps some of the accurate portrayals of the Iranian people um, that many would either know about or not know about? Well, number one, uh, one misconception, uh, some people believe that Iranians hate us in in the West. They do not. Um, they actually would like to reach out to Americans, Canadians, and others, um, get to know them better. They're very friendly. It's the government that has hostile attitudes toward the West. The other misconception is, is that Muslims are impossible to reach. That is not true. Iranians are probably the most open Muslim people group in the world today, open to the gospel. I have a friend. Uh, he's been a missionary to Iranians for many, many years. And he took two Iranian Christians to Istanbul, Turkey, where there are many Iranian refugees. And in one week, they witnessed to about 100 Iranians and almost all of them trusted Christ right on the spot. They were ready. They were ripe and open. And that's that's the way Iranians are these days. And like I said, the main thing is they, they, they just want to know about Jesus. They've heard a little bit about him. And they've desired to, to learn more. It's amazing that you say that. Because I know that in, in certainly in the recent season of life, uh, many of my friends, um, even family, um, are committed to sharing the love of Christ, particularly in in those hard fields. And you know, it's it's poignant now to think that uh, at the time of this recording, um, it is the season of Ramadan, uh, a time when many Muslims uh, go to great sacrifice and uh, and live with fasting and with prayers and. And so on, and, and and even just sitting here in South Africa, right up the street from me, are, are friends uh, who will undertake that. And you yearn for them to know the truth, and you yearn for them 
to to know that Jesus wasn't just a prophet, he's the Son of God. And uh, I would be so interested to hear you uh, tell us about how then, when you when you were forced to leave, and, and I can only imagine the heartache and the sorrow uh, and the sense of what are you doing, Lord, and, and where would you have us go next? Um, but I would love to hear then how the origins or the seed idea of what is now your ministry began to, to flourish. Take us through that. When we were in Iran, I actually worked alongside another missionary who started a fledgling, fledgling radio ministry. And we, we were producing some very simple radio programs and broadcasting them just a couple of times a week, shortwave radio. When we left, the whole thing was up in the air. We had no staff. We had no Iranians to work with us to do the recording. because We always have used Iranians to do the upfront work. And we foreigners are behind the scenes. I remember, well, uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the Corinthians. This really relates to me. He says in... Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Uh, And then he goes on to say that my message demonstrated the Holy Spirit and power. That's kind of the way our whole ministry has been. We've been totally cast on God, facing obstacles that have been way, way beyond us. We have seen that what God has called us to do has been totally beyond our abilities and that sort of thing. And so we saw God work. Well, we prayed, what should we do next? Should we just drop this ministry or should we begin to pursue it? Well, we pursued it. God gradually added a few Iranians to help us. And since that time, though, we have expanded Tremendously, thanks to God providing finance and people and that sort of thing. And what we do now, we don't do shortwave anymore because it's obsolete. But instead, we're using cutting-edge media that the youth in Iran especially use. We have a Farsi website, use 24-hour broadcasting on three different satellites that broadcast right to people's televisions. And we also broadcast 24 hours on the Internet, and that's played on mobile apps and different other media that people couldn't tune into. We use YouTube, and podcasts are a big thing right now. And we just started them last year. But we get about a thousand downloads a week, and uh, it's a, it's a very crucial medium for Iran, where internet connectivity is so bad. People can down, download our podcasts and then play them later. You're just talking my language all over the place because uh, I spent a number of years in Chicago, uh, in the suburbs. There, I was oh. where I first started my. My teaching um, was in Downers Grove in that area out in the north, southeast suburbs. Oh, really? Right near where I lived. Yeah. And, and I work for Moody Radio. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and that's the other thing is. As a is, producer. Um, 
Moody yeah. Moody Radio um, there in Florida, where I was, was a was a big influence in my life, and um, mm. you know that's part of my sort of Walter Mitty um, journey here of hoping to get a radio station going in this area. It's been very very difficult, and that's a conversation for another time. But the bureaucracy here, along with right. the, uh, oh yeah, along government with the, control, yeah, the, the, well, and the rules um, post apartheid have been. Uh, uh, severe to the point where I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to do it quite like I want it, but but we're going to see what 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 we can do. The idea of on demand is really has really largely grown out of even this time of COVID, where many people were um, were limited in their access to one another, and so uh, the demand for podcasts and and downloadable files and stuff have been massive. I was reading in some of your materials that you have a goal to hit, I think, 4,000 podcasts. Um, that is an amazing target. And what would those sorts of things be programming-wise? Oh, we have, right now, we have six different shows, we call them. And uh, one of them we just added, actually, a few weeks ago, is the Our Daily Bread podcast. Our Daily Bread is a devotional. And we have recorded in audio, three years worth of those. And, and we've just started offering them as podcasts. And we have some evangelistic material as well as some discipleship material for for Iranian Christians. How much would you say, uh, Dick, from where you've been and your experience, um, are other organizations uh, of like faith providing resources, whether it's doctrinal or teaching uh, subjects, whether it's exposition from scripture or scripture readings. Um, you, it sounds like you're filling an amazing niche uh, and a really ama- a very much needed niche amongst the Farsi speaking people. Yeah, we're trying to do that. God has enabled us to do that. There are some Iranian Christian television ministries, three of them exactly. Um, we don't do TV. We let them do that, and we're focusing the media we use and a lot of audio that we offer. And you mentioned as well um, that you have a partnership with a uh, what I'll call a regional station where you have a million-watt uh, AM or, or medium-wave station. Um, is that still effective yeah. in that part of the world? Well, interestingly, um, yeah, it's a very powerful station, but for some reason, we're not getting very much response to that. Just being honest here, yeah. our other media you know, generates a lot of response, get it by email and other means. Well, I don't wonder if that's reflecting what's going on here is in Southern Africa as well which is that, you know, the, the evolution of Christian radio was often shortwave uh, and because of obviously of its propagation and signal travel and all that. Um, but we find even here um, that many uh, in the Christian media world don't use AM at all. Um, they cite expense and, and equipment and all that sort of thing, but it is just culturally not yes. really all that popular anymore. Uh, in the same way, perhaps growing up where many of us would tune in and, and catch our favorite news shows or or sports or cultural things on, on the AM side of things. Correct. In Iran today, mobile phones are really big. There are more mobile phones in the country than people. So that means some people have more than one. And so we broadcast 
24-7 right from our mobile app. And people can use that to text us and they get on um, and WhatsApp and Telegram and some of the other channels that they can use for communication. And from my side as, as a content creator and really trying to see how I can serve the people groups in, in, in our area here at the southern tip of Africa, I'm, I'm fascinated even with the music and some of the other programming is that all in Farsi? Are you able to really uh, keep it within the language of the Iranian folk? And where do you source that from? Yes, we only have our media in Farsi. There are probably 50-some languages in the country, but some are very small. But we are focusing on the major language. It's the first or second language of every person in the country. So we're focusing on that. And Afghanistan... In Tajikistan, they speak dialects of Farsi, and so we have Afghans who contact us as well. Tajikis, not so much, although we have a brand new satellite that we're using that covers that country very well. So we'll see what happens. I suspect also that it's quite a challenge because technology is changing so rapidly and improving, and the fact that you and I now are having a a wonderfully clear conversation on WhatsApp, which is a free resource, uh, mobile phone driven. Uh, it must be extraordinarily exciting and challenging to to kind of keep your ministry at the forefront technologically. How have you been able to do that? We keep our ears to the ground. We find out what youth in Iran especially are using. And if they're using it, like we found out Instagram is very popular in Iran. So we added an Instagram channel, and um, that's what we've been doing, constantly changing. You can't just do things the way you've always done them. Otherwise, you you lose your audience. So that's what we do. We just try to keep aware of what media are being used and then go with those. The media, that's not the big thing. The, the message is the big thing. But you got to get it to people so they can hear or read. One thing that I was wondering in, in preparing for this and reading some of your thoughts is just the notion of how much of this gets to them and past, if you will, um, whether there's censorship or whether there is um, a scrutiny or an oversight. You know, I would imagine the Iranians uh, feel a sense of, of privacy, being able to access your materials on their phone. Uh, maybe not on their PC at work or, or school or, or, or place, but that that uh, thing in their pocket or in their purse allows them to to reach out to what you are preaching and teaching without fear of reprisal. Take us through some of that. Oh, yeah, that's a very good point. And Iranians are watched by their government, and they have to be very careful that they're not, not found out uh, when they try to contact us, for example. But mobile phones allow a lot of privacy, although if they're ever arrested, they sometimes carry two phones, one that has all the sensitive information on it and the other one that doesn't. And when they're arrested, they present the second one to the police, um, that sort of thing. But mobile phones are an excellent way to reach the world and Ron is Exception. I like to ask a couple of questions, um, and one of my favorite one is 
just tell us some of the things that that often you wish people would understand about how amazing Iran is or their people. Um, what is it that you love about that particular field? God has has put it on your heart for decades, and there must be a deep and abiding pride, loyalty to them, uh, a fascination with them. But but what are some of those things that you wish you could just brag about uh, the Iranian people, the food, the culture, things they enjoy? Well, I love Iranian food. It's very good, not hot and spicy. It's very delicious. Um, I guess the thing I'd like to brag about the most is God is powerful. He's been doing powerful things among Iranians. When we lived there, there might have been 500 Muslim background believers in the country. Now there are many hundreds of thousands. Some people say a million or even more. Um, try to stay low on numbers like that. Don't like to exaggerate, but God is prepared the hearts of many. And when they hear the gospel, they hear God's word, they are ready to respond to that. I remember we had a, a young Muslim guy email us from Iran. And it's interesting. He, he, he introduced himself as a Muslim. And he said he was interested in the prophet Jesus. Jesus is one of the Muslims' prophets, and they believe Jesus was a prophet. That's about all. And he wanted to know more about this prophet Jesus. The next day, got another message from him, and he asked us to pray for him. Um, it's interesting how he put it. He was afraid the prophet Jesus wouldn't answer his own prayer because of sin in his life. So he asked us to pray for him uh, to sort of act as middlemen. And um, we did that. And then his next email, he called Jesus the Lord. We had explained the gospel to him. He understood it, and now he referred to Jesus as the Lord, told us his heart had been changed, he had believed the gospel, and he actually recited the gospel back to us that Jesus was Lord, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and you could just see the change in his, his mind just over a couple of days a couple days later, got another email from him, and he said, here's my prayer to Jesus. He didn't need a middleman anymore. Instead, he was praying to Jesus himself, and he actually wrote out his prayer in the email. So all of this happened in less than a week, which shows how prepared the hearts of many Iranians are. They're ready. God has prepared them. And at this time in history, and many are trusting Christ. The big need, though, is discipleship, which uh, is a huge need. A lot of these new Christians go astray doctrinally and in many other ways, and they need discipleship. Which leads me to my next question. I was just sitting here in awe of our Savior and his reach. His arm is not stayed. His power is not limited by any culture or time or government or border. 
Um, and that's been one of the really the wonderful themes of this podcast and other episodes is seeing God transcend our assumptions and our own limitations or our own doubts and doing amazing work um, all across the globe. But are there cell groups or are there discrete gatherings, the church? What does the church look like in Iran, in modern-day Iran? Well, in the old days, there were some above-ground churches that met. All of them have been closed. And the only way for believers to get together to worship and learn is through what we traditionally call underground churches. They meet, have to meet secretly, and there are many, many of them in the country. Police sometimes raid them, arrest the leaders. Mm. So we need to pray for safety for the Christians as they do that kind of thing. But that's really the only way for believers to get together right now. Are there options um, similar to other closed access countries um, where outside Bible teachers or theologians or even seminary teachers have any access at all to the Iranian converts? Or is it something largely that is, is limited because of 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 entry issues and, and all that sort of thing. Is there any of that sort of thing that could be going on? Well, people like that cannot go into Iran. It would be very dangerous for them and also the people they're contacting. So they they sometimes bring Iranian Christians out of the country to other countries and disciple them and encourage them there. That's really the only way they can do that. This has been a, an amazing time, and we want to draw our podcast to a close um, in just a few moments. And I'll ask you to to mention some things very specifically that listeners can be praying for, for your ministry, and uh, perhaps, you know, at your discretion to mention what ministry you're involved in, or maybe in more general terms, ministry needs. Uh, and then I'll have you close us uh, in a word of prayer where we'll remember um, our brothers and sisters in Iran. But um, I just uh, am so grateful that God is is on the move. Um, would there be places or are there places to read or to have believers encouraged through stories coming out of Iran? Is is there such a, a place or is it more just word of mouth? Well, they could go to our website. Um, we actually have a Farsi and an English website, two separate websites. The English one, the domain name is Voice of Christmedia.org, R-G, voiceofchristmedia.org. And there are stories there and descriptions about different media we're using, some of the results. There's also a section called resources, and there are actual helps if some who are listening to this trying to have a ministry to Muslims where they are. Uh, there are ways to reach out to them. Keywords for doing that, by the way, are love and Jesus. Love them supernaturally through the love of Christ in them. And also just introduce them to Christ. Get them involved in a study of one of the Gospels. But we have helps in that resources section about how to learn to do that, which could be very, very helpful. As far as prayer requests, pray. 
that God would continue to open the hearts of Iranian Muslims and Afghans and Tajiks, and that they would hear the message of the gospel and believe in Jesus. I pray for the believers. I mentioned the need for safety and also the need for discipleship. You could pray that they would grow in their knowledge of the word and grow in their their faith and learn to be Jesus followers, real disciples of Christ. That is a big, big need. Pray for us in our ministry as we come up with ways to evangelize and disciple. We're just taking on a brand new project. Many in our audience have heard about J. Vernon McGee, and he's got a five-year program, a number of radio programs that go through the entire Bible. We're going to be recording that series over five years and using that to do more discipling of believers. So you could pray for us. Uh, the media are very inexpensive. Preparing the content costs a bit of money, and we trust God for that. I want to just point out here, just before you close, in a word of prayer again, that um, the website to go for more information is voiceofchristmedia.org. I have it up on my screen now, even as we've been chatting. It is uh, it is highly professional, uh, thorough, um, well put together, easily um, navigable, and I encourage the listener to, to head over there and, and, and just read everything that you can get your hands on um, about this ministry. Um, the, the cost of production, the cost of content and, and distribution is high, and we just pray that Lord will continue to provide as, as he has done for um, Dick and for the others uh, in, in his circles of, of influence there, um, that we will continue to hear the thrilling news, the, the amazing, impossible news that Jesus saves, um, even those coming out of and, and living within Iran. We're, we're so grateful for that. So would you take a, a chance now just to conclude us in a word of prayer, and, and I thank you for your time on this program today. Yes. Lord God, we, we pray in the name, the powerful, loving name of Jesus, and thank you for what you have been doing among the Iranian people. It's unique in history. We never would have dreamed that this would have happened. We thought when we were kicked out, that was the end of missions in Iran, but you had other plans, hmm. and it's been a great joy to watch what you've been doing. And we ask that that would continue. Ask, Lord, that many, many Muslims would develop spiritual hunger today and that they would hear the good news of the gospel somehow, read it, hear it. We ask, Lord, for believers who've come to Christ to learn to be followers of Jesus, that their knowledge of the word would grow, that they'd be able to get a Bible, which are scarce supply in the country. We ask, Lord, for great spiritual growth to take place. And I pray for those that are listening to this, some of whom have contact with Muslims. Pray you would take away any fear that they have. Pray that they'd be willing to reach out with the love of Christ and just love these people like Christ loves them and have openings to be able to share about Christ and 
take them through these studies that we've talked about and pray that you would use them to reach out and encourage Iranians, Afghans, Saudis, wherever they might be from, have a real ministry. Use them, we pray. Thank you. We can ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas and even future interview subjects about this podcast. If you want to reach out or reach out to those that you heard today, drop me a note at phil.golson at gmail.com. We have a U.S.-based nonprofit called Grace Garden Root Arts Communication and Education set up for donations of financial gifts or items like instruments, uniforms, or even computer equipment for our lab that's administered by Kristen. For more information on Grace, go to www.thewordgrace, followed by K-N-Y-S-N-A dot O-R-G. It's www.gracenisna.org. Also, if you want to read about our team here and the missions model that we use for church planting, discipleship, seminary training, redemptive relationship building through life skills, education, and counseling, go to www.nisnahope.org. That's K-N-Y-S-N-A hope.org. And that's for more information. What on earth are you doing, for heaven's sake? We'll see you next time.